Thanks for tuning in to Goop Fellas. We'd like to thank Skinny Dip Almonds who have made today's episode possible. As a chef, one of the most frequent questions I get is, what's my favorite thing to cook? Which, if incidentally, if you're ever thinking of asking me a question, don't ask me that question because it's my least favorite question to answer. But the question I do love to answer is, what are my favorite things to keep in the pantry and what kind of snacks do I love? One snack that checks all of the boxes and is constantly on rotation in the Goop office, where I spend a lot of my time in LA, is skinny dipped almonds. These are crunchy roasted almonds with organic maple sugar, which you know I like because I'm from Vermont and just a little bit of sea salt. They're dipped in a thin layer of rich chocolate. So how good does that sound? They're naturally gluten-free, they're powered by plant protein, and they skip all the artificial flavors and colors and sugar alternatives. To try them for yourself, visit skinnydip.com, and right now you can get 20% off your first purchase by using the code GOOPFELLAS. That's G-O-O-P-F-E-L-L-A-S. What's up, everybody? It is Goop Fellas. I'm Dr. Yeah. Ro Cole, and I'm here with my friend, as always. Yeah, I'm Chef Seamus Mullen. Since you get to put a doctor in front of your name, I'm going to put a <laughs> chef in front of my name. I like it. Yeah. Uh, today, we're talking to the king of shoes. Yeah, we've got the uh, titan of footwear, <laughs> Steve, Steve Madden. Madden. Steve is widely recognized, obviously, as the shoe designer who founded Steve Madden, naturally. Uh, beyond that, he has a fascinating story. I watched his Netflix documentary, Mad Men. He has a book coming out next year. But just amazing guy. So much like a wild ride. Yeah. I mean, his book, when it comes out, I think it's called The Cobbler. But Yeah, The Cobbler. Yeah. But when it comes out next year, definitely get it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. No, it was great. We talked about everything from addiction to injustice to the prison system. He, he's had a pretty remarkable journey. And he's got great energy. Um, yeah. and, and you can tell he's just like somebody who has, it's curious because we've had other conversations. We were speaking with, with Simon Sinek about the infinite game. And in many ways, it feels like uh, Steve Madden's shoes is playing the infinite game. He's yeah. not, you know, he's not trying to just have enough money so he can retire and move on and win. Mm -hmm. He wants to create something that has longevity. Yeah. And he has so much insight on being this titan that came up in the 90s to still having this longevity and his business is like worth $3 billion. Yeah. And he talks about how the worst part of his life when he was sentenced to, to federal prison, how that actually served him in the end where it kind of was redeemed in many ways and kind of gave his business a new breath of life. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, guys, check out this conversation with Steve Madden. Steve Madden. Hey. Hey. What's up? Fellas? Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. So, you know, you and I are both Irish Jews. No way. Yeah. We're really? like unicorns. Wow. We really are. There are not very That's many so of crazy. us. But when I was a kid, I, I, I do remember that the mayor of Dublin yeah, was Jewish. His he was Jewish. Was yeah. 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 You know, but it was very rare. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you grew up in, in Long Island. How did you become the shoe king that you are? So I mean, this is like a, an incredible story. Yeah. But I worked in a shoe store in high school. That's yeah. really it. That's how it happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like even, you know, something as simple as that can affect your future. Right. Yeah. You know? I saw the documentary, Mad Men, amazing yeah, story. Yeah. And you worked your ass off, like, on the ground just selling shoes, like you said. What... Was it tough for you to kind of go out on your own and take that leap of faith early in the early days? Yeah, it was scary to go out on my own. I thought, I remember when I did it, I had like butterflies. 
and I remember waking up and like, well, wait, there's no boss anymore. What, uh -huh. what am I doing here? Because you were already working for a pretty successful distributor. I was working for, yeah, for a, a company in the 80s. Uh -huh. And then I said to myself, well, just do the things that you've been doing. Uh -huh. You know, only you're doing it for yourself. Right. And that helped me. Like, I, don't, I, I really actually had to talk to myself. Mm-hmm. And I actually remember the moment when that happened. But I did. I woke up with butterflies. So know? it wasn't it wasn't like you identified some hole in the marketplace because there was obviously my generation because yeah. I, I I know I'm I'm Gen Gen X. You know I'm yes. I'm 45. Yeah. My my contemporaries, the female contemporaries my age, were all buying your shoes yeah, because they were. I'm a baby boomer. You're a Gen right. Xer. Nobody was nobody was providing for them. Yes, and you, that's and correct. you started to, but it wasn't like you saw that and said, "I need to sell to these people." Yes. You were just you were just doing what you were doing. That's exactly correct. It's, that is completely truthful and correct. Uh -huh. I should actually rewrite that part of my history and say that I plan to sell Gen X. <laughs> I don't even actually think I heard of the expression. Yeah. You know, I just made shoes. I just did what I did, which was to make sort of trendy shoes or something yeah. I've always done. And it just sort of of course I recognized the opportunity once it was out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you played to it. And then I played to it. Yeah. And you democratized it. You got these on-trend shoes to the masses. Yeah. And you're still relevant. I mean, I was in the Steve Madden store yesterday with my son. The store was packed. How do you stay relevant? Yeah. I mean, how, well, you have to. It's a good question. How does one stay relevant at 61? That's the. Or any age. Right? Know, but, but no, but it's really important. Yeah. yeah. I'm a baby boomer. You know, and because I am who I am, I am of my age. I'm very much of my generation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not super hip in that regard, you know. But um, I guess the only thing I could say is that I recognize that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's my advantage. So I, uh -huh. I have a lot of great younger people. Well, everybody's younger than me, than <laughs> me, that I work with. So yeah. because, you know, there's so much out there that I won't get to because yeah. you know I'm doing different things. You talk about in the in the documentary of just you spent a lot of your career just looking at people's shoes. That's all you do is just kind of looking at what's on the street. Yeah. Well, I'm I've sort of I've done it my whole life, you know, sort mm -hmm. of that's what I do mm -hmm. in the shoe business. Make <laughs> shoes. <laughs> you look at a lot of No, feet. I really yeah. do. It's it's I still do it. Do you, you dream know? about shoes? Everything, you know, I just, but the shoe thing is like the most embarrassing thing is when you shake hands and just immediately <laughs> look at their shoes. Yeah. I don't do it with men as much as women. Uh -huh. Do you think if you got in the game now, it, you would be able to break through or do you think it was like right time, right no. place? No, I would not. I'm pretty sure of that. I was at the right place at the right time. And um, I always used to say... You know, when I was coming up, all the smart guys were like stockbrokers and real estate. Mm -hmm. no, like the garment center was like, people were leaving the garment center when I was, so, but I, of course, shoes is not the garment center, but it was the same thing. When I entered the shoe business, mm -hmm. I was the youngest guy by a lot. It was like me and older guys. Right. And then when I went into my business, I was 30 or 31 years old. It was the same thing. Mm -hmm. I was the youngest, which is the opposite of today. Right. But, um, and there's a return now of young people into the fashion business. But mm -hmm. when I was going in, it seemed like that, like, like people were getting out of it and they were going into other things. Mm -hmm. uh, the market was exploding. The stock market so there was a lot of that a lot of finance a lot of that stuff so like i was like alone in that against these like 
guys that were 10, 15 years older than me. They were going to age out in no time. Yeah, yeah. and I, so I brought a little different perspective to right. the game. How did you go from working in a shoe store as a teenager to basically changing the landscape of fashion and, and making high fashion accessible at a, at a price point that was yeah. accessible? How would like that, and, and by the time you were in your early 30s. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, I, I can imagine high stress lifestyle, a lot of partying. I know that you drank a lot. Oh, God, good. that, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, how, how did it, how, despite that, how did you end up, what was the trend? Yeah. What was the, the pendulum swing? Yeah. So I got sober when I started my business, coincidentally. Uh -huh. You know, so I, my 20s, you know, I worked for this company. I was a uh -huh. talented kid. It was like rock and roll and, you know, that whole thing. And I was, high all the time but mm -hmm. worked you know when you're young you could do both right you can get right? away with that yeah yeah that's why those rock stars die at you know 27 we, whatever <laughs> yeah. it is 27 yeah 27 and I'm, it's a miracle yeah. that I'm still here but um, yeah it could have been like that for sure mm -hmm. and um, it was just my 20s were blur and, mm -hmm. yeah how did you get sober was there a moment a defining moment where you hit the bottom and bounced off the bottom and said fuck this i gotta change my life or? yeah more or less that's pretty much it yeah <laughs> it's not that simple but uh although it is simple it's simple but it's not i mean uh -huh. you know it just was so you know you get it's like it, that intersection of despair and hope yeah you know maybe and um you know it just lucky and again very lucky that mm -hmm. I was it's I, I always think like it's a it's a sort of a configuration of events you know have to take place and just mm -hmm. it's just the stars have to be aligned I mean and uh, to get sober sometimes mm -hmm. you know just hear certain things and you're in a certain place in your life and because there's smarter people than me that have not gotten Didn't make sober. it yeah you can't press sobriety on and anyone, great no. god you know great people you know amazing people just don't get it, mm -hmm. you know, because they just, you know, luck or higher power or whatever it is, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, it's just one of those things. Mm -hmm. It's just this thing that happens, you know, it just, yeah. uh, I don't think, you know, the thing about the, the misnomer about addiction mm -hmm. is that it's somehow about willpower. It's not, yeah. not at all. So no. that's the, that's the big, yeah. so I need to say that as much as I can. It's right. not about willpower. Okay, addiction is a disease. You will always lose. I always liken it, frankly, to diarrhea. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have diarrhea and you think you're going <laughs> to will yourself not to go to the bathroom. But no, your will is not that strong. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's, it's like that. So, you know, I hope somebody hears that. Yeah, that's good. Do, do you, because um, it's very important. It would be helpful to me to know that. Yeah. In, in your path to sobriety, because obviously you, you got sober, and then most of us have seen The Wolf of Wall Street, and we yeah. know, know what happened. You ended yeah. up in prison. Yeah. Like, do you think there was an addiction that was still carrying over course, through sobriety yeah. to success, to money? Yeah, of course. Yes. It, but the thing is about it, it's, you know, it's a, you know, there's a lot of addictions out there. Right. And, uh, you know, work and food and gambling and all that and um so i surrendered my disease to where you know was drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. but, you know it's a daily thing there's just anything that can take me out of myself so i don't have to feel you know i'm mm -hmm. down with that right you know mm -hmm. that's i'm with that you know right. it's like a, so we have to learn how to deal with our feelings 
I know it sounds a little new age. No, this it's true. true. I can it's, say it, that. You can, it's the you can say the shit. You can say, yeah. yeah. No, but it's true, and it's not easy, but, you know, yeah, I go mean, through it all I mean, the time, yeah. I mean, one of the, thing that, um, the things that almost all addicts have in common is that they have some sort of trauma that they've experienced in their life, and that whatever the pathology of addiction is, is in some way dealing with with that trauma. But it seems like your childhood was pretty, I mean, I've heard you talk about your dad. It sounds like he was a pretty remarkable guy and was like very, played things really safe, was not about taking big risks. Yeah. I mean, what was your childhood like? So I feel like, um, you know, I had a normal childhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever normal means, there's no such thing as normal, geez. But like, if you were to, you know, write about it, mm-hmm. you would think, well, you know, I had a dad who worked, middle class to upper middle class dad and nice mom, well-educated, readers, good people. I mean, when someone moved next door, we brought them a cake. Uh-huh. You know, it was that, I remember doing that with my mom as a little boy. I mean, it was that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, something happened and, uh, you know, I got the disease mm-hmm. of alcoholism. You know, mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I don't know if it's, you know, I just think it could get, I don't know if it's nature or nurture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, now I look back on my parents, you know, went through different phases with that and therapy and all that. And I miss my parents and I think they were great. And I think they were not perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh you know, they taught me so many things that I'm so grateful for. And then they didn't teach me other things also. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so much of my success is because of my parents, yeah. you know, for sure. But then we were deficient in other areas, mm-hmm. you know, and we weren't great at expressing our feelings in my house. Yeah, You know, it wasn't like that, you know, and so... You know, that would be nice to have that trait, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I don't have it. Yeah. We know how to express rage. That that, we, <laughs> that we're good at. That was a big yeah. one in, in my, with me and my brothers. You know, there's a lot of that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's the way I view the past. That, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Did you make peace with that while they were still here and, you know, kind of understood the awesomeness that they gave you? Um. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I'm still talking to them, you know what I mean? But mm. they're not here. Right. They're, so, they're in heaven or wherever, you know, but I'm still talking to them and uh, still thinking about them. And, uh, you know, they're with me and, and not in a, you know, like a weird like way, but, you know, like, yeah, there's conversations and there's yeah. clear memories and mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. grateful for that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm bullish on almonds, and chocolate is definitely my weakness. So combining almonds with chocolate into a bite-sized snack is pretty ideal in my book. This is exactly what skinny dip almonds are. They take a crunchy roasted almond, a little bit of organic maple sugar, and some sea salt, and then they dip that almond in a thin layer of rich chocolate. They use real ingredients powered by plant protein, no artificial flavors, colors, or weird sugar alternatives. And skinny dipped almonds are all gluten-free and non-GMO. Skinny dip almonds come in a variety of flavors. Peanut butter, yes, that's right, peanut butter almonds, cocoa, mint, espresso, and raspberry. Whenever I'm in the goop office, I'm bound to find a few flavors there. Although if I'm being totally honest, I'd start with the cocoa first. That's my current favorite. But check them out yourself. Visit skinnydip.com and you can get 20% off your next purchase by using the code goopfellas. 
So you got sober, and I've heard you say that you did. You felt like your, you know, you traded the addiction towards alcohol and drugs towards this drive of success. Yeah. Do you feel like that served you in a way? That personality, that drive that you had, you refocused it into the business. You know, I suppose workaholism. Yeah, they call workaholism the pain people applaud. Right. You know, so it's a bit of that, yeah. maybe. Yeah. There's a point in the documentary where I think it was your, your ex-wife that she said, I, I liked the Steve that was in prison. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. uh, because I had his attention. She, she meant well when she said that. I, you know, but, I knew what uh, she meant when yeah, she said it. Yeah, I knew what it. she meant, too. Yeah. You know, it was there, you know. Did it hurt to hear that? Does it hurt to hear that kind of no, stuff? No, I mean, I know who I am. And, you know, I don't really like that uh drive so much you know it's like a fire it burns in many ways you know Mm -hmm. i I mean people think it's cool because you know you can you know buy a corvette or something right you know (laughs) uh and it is cool you know i think about that a lot Mm -hmm. you know certain things drove me like uh but you know it can be unhealthy too Mm -hmm. yeah and, I, you know, I don't stop thinking about that stuff. I, it's stuff that, you know, I can be a total ass all the times, mm-hmm. you know. I remember yeah. when I was working with some with a guy. I remember working with a guy when I first went into business early, early on, and he would put up the money and I did the work, one of those deals. Those never work out, uh-huh. by the way. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> because. Because the t- talent always gets screwed. Yeah, and, the, and uh, the, the people with the money really think that they're your boss. Right. And so um, I remember him saying, so go to that buyer and tell him your boss said, you know, this, this, and this. And I remember like, what? your boss and it just made me crazy it just made me insane like i just was insane over it Mm -hmm. yeah and shortly thereafter i got rid of him (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's that kind of drive but some people don't give a shit about that you know It's, it's it's and i'd rather be that guy than the guy you know sometimes yeah that's so you know pride I have kids, you have kids, like what, if you had to go back and do that, like fatherhood differently, uh, trying to find that balance, I find it hard for me and I'm not running a $3 billion yeah. business. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you have any pearls of wisdom for dads out there that are trying to oh God. balance that out? Yeah, I have young kids, yeah. started late. Uh, pearls of wisdom, geez, uh, boy. So, oh boy. It's it's not easy. Yeah, it's very difficult uh, to be patient with young children. Mm-hmm. Patience is really needed yeah. in this regard. Mm-hmm. The thing about me being older, so much older than my kids, I want to say is that I forget that I had to learn stuff. So, like, I just automatically assume that they should know what I know, mm-hmm. right? Like, my 12-year-old should know, like, this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so unfair of me, you know. And I have to remind myself, no, I didn't know anything. Yeah. But like, I, looking back, I feel like I knew what I knew today. Right. And I didn't, you know. Yeah, to see your, yourself through them. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. 
So it seems like we, we had this really interesting conversation with Simon Sinek. We were talking about the infinite game and this idea of sense of purpose and playing, not yeah. not to not to win, but playing the long game. Yeah. And your company is a great example of that. When you look at that, you have literally, I mean, you've been around for 30 years. How long? Yeah, over 30. Over 30 years. Yeah, 31. And still relevant, continue yeah. to be relevant because you evolve with the times as you yeah. as you go. I mean, why are you playing this game? Like, what's, what's your objective? Is, is your objective to... Like what's the, what's the mission of your company of your game? Wow! So there's a lot of missions, you know. So the, the reason, you know, I I just re, we have a book coming out. Steve Madden's story is coming out, and I just reread it. And I and uh, you know, it, we we believe I believe that the reason I'm so successful, or one of the key reasons, is because when I got in trouble. I was forced to let go of a lot of the company. I could had to resign as right. the boss, you know, as the CEO. And so that doing that has set up the mindset of the company that like no, I have to keep letting go and keep giving it out to smart people. So that terrible thing that happened to me is a major reason why we're so successful. And wow. I have amazing people that I work with. Yeah. That you know, today, and we have an amazing CEO and an amazing president, and uh, you know, I'm just sort of like the doddering founder now, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm just so lucky. But it was a, was a result of that, yeah, you know, me being incarcerated. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing how the how my the worst thing turned out to be. Well, in terms of the long game, right? So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome, Re right? Redeemed. Wow, you know, it's sort of such a paradox yeah right you know it's crazy so cool yeah it's really cool it, it really is cool yeah. but you know it was terrible at the time right how if if at all how did prison change you does it change you you know I, i've been asked that question a lot of times and you want to i always feel like i want to be as honest as i can be but uh -huh. I, I it did change me you know definitely in <laughs> Many good ways, and and also a little bit more fearless than I was before. That's mm -hmm. not necessarily a good thing, mm -hmm. but because I've seen horribleness, I'm sort of less fearful, you know, and maybe a little bit more of a risk taker in some ways, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, can you just set the environment? Like, what was that? What was it like in prison? Because you went from, I imagine, from a pretty, you know, well-to-do lifestyle yeah. to, to to being in a cell. I mean, were, did you have cellmates? You, so we live in little blocks. Uh -huh. It's kind of like that, uh, if you ever saw Orange is the New Black, uh -huh. that's sort of like the prison, but they're mm. smaller. The cubes are smaller, and you live with one other guy. It's like half the size. I like that show, by the way. Yeah. I did. Um, I like that show better than Shawshank Redemption, <laughs> which everybody thinks is, I ask people invariably, and that film comes up as their favorite film. Prison movie? No, oh, their just favorite, favorite film. film? Oh, really? I've asked people, and they always say, and I can't even watch that film, <laughs> but uh, people love it, so. But um, yeah, so you live in a cube, and uh, you know, I've, I've, just to tell you, what was it like? I mean, it's horrible. It's beyond horrible. However, you get used to your lifestyle, and you make the best of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, but what you can't ever get used to is not being with your loved ones, right? And not being with your friends, and not being outside. That 
is a heartbreaking experience. Yeah. You feel like you're dead, everybody's out there. Moving on. You know, moving on, yeah. doing their thing, and you're inside. But actually inside, as horrible as it was, you know, you get into a routine and you survive. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And uh, you met some good guys there. Yeah, met a lot of and I, Are you still in touch with any of them? Oh yeah, yeah. You've, you hired some. We have a lot, you know, a few yeah. guys that work for us and, and uh, oh yeah, most of the guys that were that I was locked up in were were uh, drug dealers, uh -huh. and uh, you know, very not a lot of white collar guys. It's very like maybe ten percent of the prison or something like that. Uh, but you know, mostly uh, African American and Latino uh, drug dealers mm -hmm. and white drug dealers. But you know, it just sort of plugged into that. You know mm -hmm. the African American guys, and uh, and I'm still friends with some of the guys. Yeah. And, you know, it was just uh, that was a big learning experience. Yeah. There's so many things, you know, that I learned from it. Mm -hmm. I saw that you work some capacity of helping with finding the guys been yeah. out of prison. What do you do as far as that? I just want to say mostly, and it's being addressed actually by Trump. You know. Uh, we're killing him all day, but the one thing he actually did do was some prison yeah, stuff. Prison reform. You know, yeah. he worked with the Democrats to get that done because there's there uh, there was there's a lot of unfair drug laws that are addressed towards the African American mm -hmm. community. Absolutely. It has to be said. Yeah, I, I want to say that. I mean, yeah. they're giving out time. They were giving out time to these guys, like just enormous amounts of time for. Uh, crack cocaine and stuff like that. And so it's just devastating the communities, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you for yeah. sure. And uh, it, it's being addressed. And uh, so- I can only imagine it being extremely difficult. I mean, you had a job to come back to. Most people don't have that when they get out, right? I was very lucky. I had a job. That's yeah. exactly right. And even like white collar guys don't have jobs if they're lawyers. A lot of lawyers, there was some lawyers. So they lose their license. So they mm -hmm. they're really- in a pickle, mm -hmm. you know, because they can't practice what they, you know. And uh, so I didn't lose my shoe designing license. Right. You know <laughs> what I mean? So I was lucky. I had a good business and I'm very, very lucky. How did, how did that experience of being in prison, which I'm sure was incredibly humbling, how did that change your perspective on business when you came out? Well, that's a good question. No, I mean, I just sort of had a grateful for the, to be able to work, so I think I enjoyed, mm -hmm. I think it heightened the enjoyment of working, you know, yeah. more, more than anything. You appreciated it. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I got out, it was amazing. Yeah. Like the first few years were just so amazing. Yeah. Just, I remember like actually working out of the halfway house, they let, you have to stay in a halfway house, mm -hmm. and I could go to work, and it was just amazing. Yeah. You know, it was an amazing feeling to be back at work. The thing uh -huh. you loved, yeah. you could do again. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. This is a superficial question, but how do you stay in shape? You're a super fit guy. Well, I, I learned that in, in being in prison. You know, it was, we worked out a lot and spent uh -huh. up a lot of time and sort of mind, body, and soul. And, uh, you know, it was important. So mm -hmm. started working out. Stuck with it. Every, a lot of guys do that because uh -huh. they fill up the time and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. What's your workout routine look like? So it's interesting because I, at the risk of, you know, I don't, 
I try to work out in the clothes that I wear. I try to maybe just go into a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. I wear, most of the time, not today, I wear boots that have steel toes. So I'm, I work out in steel toe boots, which is what I did in prison. They wouldn't let you work out with weights and sneakers because in case you drop the weight. So I like working mm-hmm. out in like, let's say I have an engineer boot that I wear a lot, you know? Uh-huh. So I work out in that, I may change my shirt, you know, put a different hat on or and just boom, I go. Because that's another thing, like... Um, I have to make it easy for myself to do something. But we're talking weightlifting, not Pilates, right? We're talking weightlifting. <laughs> yeah. But I, mean, I just want to say this yeah. is a tip. If I yeah, could yeah. give a tip to the, to anybody listening is I could try to work. Like that's my weakness, uh-huh. right? Is You know, if it's like too much effort, if I have to like go to a locker uh, and do all this stuff and change, and I won't do it. I right. just will not do it. Yeah. So I go, boom, go into the gym, hit the weights, 35, 40 minutes, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And uh, it works for me. It's awesome. Yeah. Do you have a clean eating routine? You eat a certain way or no? I don't. I have fits, and but I'm bottoming out on that. Like I'm just eating too late and eating too uh, much bread and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm just sort of like, you know, I, I like to blame my kids for that. Mm-hmm. But of course, that would not be truthful. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, you know, like I, in the mornings, like this morning I make, Chocolate milk and bagels yeah. for them. You know, they're delicious yeah. fresh bagels with butter. You know, so I toast them and I, and they're so good. It's <laughs> so good. And I invariably eat because they don't eat. Yeah, I just eat true. what's on the plate. The leftovers, yeah. yeah. You know, they may have like a bite and then they run to school. And like, yeah. I blame them for that, but it's <laughs> not really true. And then, you know, then you go, then what happens is they say, oh, that's it. I'm not going to eat that. And then like by one o'clock, you're ravenous. You'll yeah. eat anything. That's the problem. You do this pendulum swing where it's, yeah. you, know, you, you're, you think yes. you've, you're like, oh, I fucked up. I ate all this bad stuff. Now I just have to not eat. But then willpower, again, it's just like addiction. There's, there, it's, it's not a question of willpower. You actually need food. You need food. Yeah. So you got to, yeah. it's better to correct it with a good, I know. With, with, with like a, a positive decision. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I need to improve in that. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. Yeah. It's an ongoing process. Yes. You don't you don't just arrive there. Yes. You you help a lot of young entrepreneurs. Um and we talk a lot about transformation on the show. What what would you tell guys that wanna, you know, whatever they're doing, um, some business device from from a master? I wish I could do more, actually. I wanna say that most guys are not gonna make it. So we need to say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of people want to go into business and they're not going to make it. I would say one thing now that I'm talking is that you need to, you need some place to, to get, get to learn your craft. Mm-hmm. So the best thing you could do is to work for a company. Let's say when you're in your 20s, you know, some people go into business when they're 21. God bless them. There's some geniuses in technology and stuff that. You know, but then there are other people that if you could learn your craft and then go out, mm-hmm. and then of course you have to love what you do. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you don't love what you do, you're not going to win. So I think that's important. That's but I think a lot of people want to start at the front. I feel like I hear a lot of that. You yeah. know, I'm a shoe designer. I want to go into my own. What, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, you got to learn, you know. Yeah. yeah. And you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, your kids are younger, but would do you see them getting into your industry? I don't, actually. I don't. And I, 
I mean, I, I'm not sure what their path is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the only thing that I, the one thing I would say is I just hope that they find something that they love to do. It, irrespective of what it pays. Yeah. I would say that that's the gift I'm giving them. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I would, that's a, it's a big yeah, thing. It's good. Even yeah. if it's, you know, if it's a teacher or a cop or businessman, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, but I've yeah. given them that gift. I believe that yeah. they'll be able to choose something that they love. They're passionate about. Yeah. 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 Well, that was fun. <laughs> What a great guy. Yeah. I mean, he's good. It, the conversation on the air was obviously great. Off mm-hmm. air was, he's such a nice guy. He signed my son's shoes. <laughs> my son Solomon. Let's see here. him, Solomon. <laughs> Came Solomon's in, in the studio with us. Uh, look, check it out. You better not sell those on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> they could end up being the most expensive Steve Madden shoes ever sold. <laughs> nice guy. I mean, I yeah. liked his insight on parenting and business and just being like an entrepreneur of be, being successful, I thought was also very interesting. The fact that he didn't think he could make it in the industry today if he was up and coming. Yeah, yeah. And how, what a different time was in such a short period of time. This was only the, the 90s. Yeah. But. I think it's really cool how he kind of accidentally fell into the success that he, that he fell into. He was just doing what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, right place, right time. Nobody was speaking to the Gen X population from a shoe perspective. Mm-hmm. You had... Manola Blonics and really high-end expensive shoes, but you didn't have anybody that was actually taking that same level of fashion and making it accessible to my generation who yeah. couldn't afford those. Yeah. All the girls yeah. at my school growing up, they had Steve Madden's. It was yeah. like this it was a thing. big ubiquitous brand. Yeah. And even today, I mean, I said it to him, but it really was true. When I was in his store yesterday in New York, it was so packed. It was very awesome from a business standpoint, but it was mayhem because there's so many people wanted Steve yeah. Madden's shoes. So that longevity, that sustainability in this space of what's next, what's next, and staying mm-hmm. relevant is really cool guy to meet for sure so for more information on steve madden keep your eye out for his forthcoming memoir the cobbler coming out in may 2020 got a question you'd like us to answer the goop team is keeping a running list for us so just hit them up at goop on instagram or facebook at the end of every episode we'll be answering a question from one of you guys if you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, the reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. All right, guys, it's time for Ask Me Anything or Ask Us Anything. This one is for both of us. Dear Seamus and Dr. Will Cole, I love listening to your podcast. I suffer from neurodermatitis and rosacea, uh-huh. basically inflammatory skin issues. I would love to know your opinion about the right foods. Stress is the worst for me. Mm-hmm. I've tried to avoid sugar and dairy and meat for some weeks, which made me feel better. But at the same time, it worsened my skin. I heard you say nightshade plants are not good for autoimmune, and I try to listen to my body and give it what it needs. Would love some insight, Cindy. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like with a lot of skin issues, and you know this better than I do, but that the root cause can often be dysbiosis in the gut. And 
it's great that Cindy's making these changes in her life, but it may not be long enough. And it may also, she also may need a little, little more help. She might need some herbs or some supplements to help yeah. move things along. Um, and on the, the nightshades, I mean, I, I definitely think anyone who's dealing with inflammation, it's a good idea to try to, to go nightshade free for a period of time mm-hmm. and seeing how that affects you because the the um, the plants mostly fruits really that are in the night nightshade family um, tomatoes eggplant peppers um, those are just some of the most common white potatoes ones. white potatoes um, but there there are lots and lots of fruits and vegetables yeah. in the nightshade family they tend to have very high content of lectins of inflammatory mm-hmm. protein yeah so it's common that people will have an inflammatory response that that may not be an issue if there's nothing else going on in their system but if you're dealing with already dysbiosis and yeah. chronic inflammation it's a good idea just to lower that totally and there are people on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum, they have, some of them have different methylation SNPs like gene variants and cannabinoid gene SNPs that I talk about in the inflammation spectrum. That research is crazy exciting about how these people with these specific cannabinoid gene receptor variants uh, don't handle these alkaloids and lectins that are in some of these foods that many people tolerate them, mm-hmm. but that's sounding like Cindy uh, may want to avoid them for a while and see how she does. Her body may love them, may not, but the only way you know is if you remove it for a while, downregulate it. And like Seamus said, Cindy, it's going to take more time than a couple weeks. The gut can take 18, 24 months to really get to a place of strength. Not to say you have to avoid nightshades for that long, but you're going to have to be intentional at leaning into this gut healing. Some foods, uh, medicines to focus on would be things like bone broth, lots of soups and stews, especially in the colder months, it's easier for people to to get lean into. And I would say even some mild intermittent fasting can be beneficial too, giving your gut a break. And then topically, you could use things like CBD oil. They make the uh, ointments that you can put on any um, flare-ups on your skin itself. I mean, that's sub-diagnostic uh, advice for you, meaning that we don't have any labs to know what's going on here. You could always run labs too uh, and see if there is something like a dysbiosis or a candida overgrowth or intestinal permeability and the other components beyond gut health that may be driving this these immune flare-ups on your skin. And I'm sorry that you're going through that. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.